Thanks, Eugene. Um, my nephew Joshua, he wants to be a preacher. <laughs> Love it. Praise the Lord. Thanks, Eugene, for sharing with us. Uh, great, uh, wonderful message, um, message of hope. Joshua, Auntie Olivia is calling you up there. <laughs> Some family business to take care of here. Um, well, thanks for coming. Merry Christmas. Um, this is the end of a season in the uh, Christian calendar called Advent. I don't know, maybe you've heard that before. Um, Advent is a four-week season of, of, of waiting, of longing, of expecting, and it all comes to a head here. Advent is over, and we celebrate Christmas today. Uh, I, I remember at the beginning of Advent when this sermon series started, I asked uh, some of our harvesters, hey, what, is, um, what does Christmas mean? How do you know Christmas is here? And uh, what are the signs that Christmas is a different time of year? And one of our guys said, uh, one of the things to me, that people are different. They're nicer. They're kinder. They're expecting something. And that something that we're expecting is Christmas. It's during Christmas that we hear of things like love and hope and joy and peace. And all of that comes to a head here on Christmas Day. And I can't help but think that some of you are thinking, you know, that's a little bit anticlimactic. I'm a little bit disappointed because all of those great things uh, seem like they promise too much. I'm not really feeling all that today. I'm not feeling all that this year. Maybe you are. Maybe you're, you're excited about today, but you're secretly, inwardly fearful because you know that once today ends, December 26th is going to come back around. Where all of the hope, all the peace, the love, and the joy, and people aren't talking about that anymore. And tomorrow morning comes around, the relatives have gone back home. You're picking up the wrapping paper from the floor. The credit card bill is going to come around very soon. You got to go back to work. Soon you got to go back to school. You got to think about your future. And you're thinking, oh my gosh, maybe this whole Christmas thing is a little bit like Cinderella. When the clock hits midnight tonight, it's all done. And you're a little bit fearful because you don't feel like everything that's promised to you on Christmas is your everyday reality. You feel like that? Anyone feel like that? I feel like that sometimes. I'll be honest. I feel like that sometimes. I'm excited about today. But I know that come tomorrow morning, life is going to hit me hard, and we're going to get back to the daily grind of things. What I want to talk about today is this simple reality that the gifts that God gives on Christmas are not just for a moment. The Christmas spirit may end today, but the gifts that Christ gives do not end. They're perpetual. I want to talk as we continue and actually conclude this series, what child is this? I want to look at Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 for one last time and talk about the final description that was given by the prophet Isaiah. He, he, he uh, spoke to the people of God 700 years before Jesus was born, 2,700 years ago, and he was talking about what we will call this child and what we call this child is a description of who he came to be and what he offers to us. In a sense, the gift of God to us on Christmas. Just going to read one verse because I want to look at three little words here. Uh, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, and this is the word of the Lord. It says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This is God's word. I want to bring out this simple thought today that Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, is the greatest gift that the Lord God could offer, is the greatest gift that we could receive on Christmas. And he came to us 
2,000 years ago. Two thoughts that I want to highlight from this. This word, Prince of Peace, if you're into Hebrew, right, uh, two words, Sar Shalom. Okay? You've heard these words probably. The word Sar for prince is where many, you, know, you hear about Russian czars who are princes or leaders. That's kind of the, the same idea. And then Shalom talking about peace. Jesus Christ, our Sar Shalom. What does that mean? The first thing that it means that peace is one of the hardest gifts in the world to find. Does anyone need peace today? Now, I, there's always in every Christmas season um, a certain gift that's difficult for people to find that everybody wants. This year, uh, it's a thing called a toy called the Hatchimals. Anyone have a Hatchimal? If you do, you are a blessed child of God. Hatchimals are very difficult to find. In 1996, I remember it was a year of Tickle Me Elmo, right? Tickle Me Elmo. You guys, if you guys are old enough, you remember the rage about Tickle Me Elmo. There's this like Elmo doll from Sesame Street, and you, you do something, and he starts laughing, and you, you tickle it, and he starts laughing and flinging his arms. It's really cute, kind of creepy, but all the kids wanted it. And so you go to the mall, you go to all the toy stores, and they're sold out. Everywhere you go, nobody knew where to find Tickle Me Elmo. I remember in 1996, I was at Tyson's Corner Mall, <clears throat> and I was shopping, and I saw this guy with a Tickle Me Elmo doll. He was, he was you know, uh, 30s, 40s, and he was sitting on a bench at the mall, and he had his Tickle Me Elmo, and he just had his arm on top of it, basically saying, I've got this, and I'm willing to sell it for whoever would offer me the most. So people are coming around. They're saying, you know, $100, $150, and all these obscene amounts of money for this doll that you tickle, and he will laugh. It's crazy. Every year, there's something like a Tickle Me Elmo. From uh, One year, it was Furbies. Another year, it was uh, Beanie Babies. Another year, it was the PS3, where there'd be adults fighting. In, it's like Black Friday, basically, <clears throat> where adults are fighting in the toy store aisles to try and get that last thing. Every year, it's something different, but every year, it's always the same also. There's a gift that everybody wants because everybody's longing for peace. And wherever we look, it's very elusive. Anyone need peace this Christmas? Your family's in town and your house is a madhouse. That's my house. Your family's in town, all of them, even that crazy psycho uncle is in town. The one who annoys you like crazy and you just hope, oh, uncle, don't you need to take a nap, go into the room and he's just crazy. And you have people like that or maybe just all the frenzy of, of Christmas shopping. And on the way, you've got to go to five stores to find the very thing that you need. And on the way out of the last store, somebody bumps into you in the parking lot. And you're like, this is just what I need. Or there's one thing that you really need. And you gotta go, you go to Best Buy to get it. And you want, you're in the Christmas spirit. So you open the door. Person walks in. And wow, that's so interesting. They're walking in the same section as you are. And they buy the very last item of the very thing that you wanted to get. And you're so frustrated. Anybody need peace like that this year? Man, we need a peace like that sometimes, don't we? What God is saying is into a world that is dying for peace, literally dying without peace, anxiety, stress, killing a nation. He says, I bring to you your prince of peace, your sar shalom. You've heard this word maybe before I had a... I had a pastor when I was growing up, he would sign his emails, Shalom, 
And I would be, at first I was like, dude, why are you trying to show off your Hebrew knowledge, man? Nobody understands what you know. But the more I get into it, the more I understand the depth of what he's trying to say. There's a power in this word shalom that to this day, Jews will greet each other with that greeting. You know, we say things like, hey, what's up, right? And we give each other dab or whatever it is. They say shalom. They pronounce shalom over one another. What is shalom? It means it's, a, it's wishing for a time in which everything was working, fulfilling its destiny the way that it was created to be. In other words, it's saying it's pronouncing a pushing of the reset button on life and on the world so that everything that's broken could be the way that it was meant to be. You know when your phone gets broken or your iPad breaks or your Galaxy tab blows up or whatever it is and they recall it and and you need to reset the thing because it's frozen or whatever it is and you want to push the reset button to get back to the way that it was meant to be? That's what shalom is. Saying in every area of your life, I wish that your life would be the way that it was intended to be before brokenness came. In other words, he's saying, I wish peace upon all of your lives. In the biblical understanding of shalom, it encompassed four different relationships. It encompassed our relationship with others, our relationship with creation, nature, our relationship with ourselves, and our relationship with God. But here's our reality. We don't have peace. We don't have peace. Shalom does not rule in our world. It certainly doesn't rule in our relationships with each other, does it? If you've ever had a fight with somebody, you ever had a fight, every, there's this one couple, I'm not going to put them on the spot, but every time I talk about marital difficulties, they always nudge each other. And they're like, you're talking about you, he's talking about you, he's talking about you. Because this is what we do. Right? We go into a blame game. Instead of owning our stuff, we blame other people. The Republicans blame the Democrats. The Democrats blame the Republicans. The husbands blame the wives, and the wives blame the husbands, and the parents blame the children, and vice versa. And nation against nation, it's your religion's fault. It's your religion's fault. No, we're and all of these things, and we don't have peace with each other, nor do we have peace with our creation. You see this every time we as human beings destroy the very earth that was created to give us a bountiful harvest. We see this every time we, we, we litter or destroy the limited resources that we have. And we have to think about the future of the world in which we live. We see this every time an animal attacks a human being. That's not the way it should be. See this every time an alligator, you hear about an alligator or a dog or an, uh, some kind of an animal attacking a child or an adult. You realize that in, in, in a world of shalom, this isn't what would happen. And this world isn't the way that it ought to be. We even see it in the way we treat ourselves. We look in the mirror and we despise the person that we see. That's not how God created us to be. We look at ourselves and we say things in front of our children who are looking for us to be an example of what it is to be content with who we are. We look at ourselves and we say in the hearing of them, I'm so fat. I'm so ugly. And so they pick up these cues and they grow up hating themselves. We beat ourselves. We destroy our bodies. We are filled with stress and anxiety. We hurt ourselves. We put things into our bodies that would hurt us because we cannot stand the person that looks back at us in our mirror. We're alienated with ourselves. And this is not the way that God created us to be. And all this because we're not at peace with God, our maker. We run from him. We hide from him. We 
are ashamed of who we are before him, and we think I don't quite measure up. This being Christmas, we've got family in town. My family, uh, four adults and five children, went to Legoland uh, this past week. And five kids, and they're all wanting to ride these rides, and our Manny is the oldest, she's seven, and then there's Joshua, and then Elijah, and then Eden, and then uh, May, uh, not May, Elise is the little one. She's two, and she's kind of like always chasing the other ones around, trying to do whatever they do. So they're really excited about going on these Lego rides, Lego friends, and going to Ninjago land and all of these different things. And um, every time they get to the ride, the people say, Manny's always the first one because she's the oldest and longest legs, and she runs the fastest. So she has to say, we, you have to be 48 inches. So they make her stand against this thing. They're like, all right, you're in. And Manny's like, yeah, come on, guys, let's go. And, and so the other three go in, and then Elise's like, kind of, wait for me, guys, tiptoeing along with her, with her elephant in tow. And, and they say, hold on a second, and they stop her, and they say, can you stand here? And so Elise will stand. This is the marker, and Elise will only come up to here. And so... We'll grab her because she's trying to run into the right. Say, Elise, Elise, it's okay. You can ride the next one, okay? Like, okay. And she doesn't care, right? She's okay. <laughs> Second ride comes, and they're all, let's go, let's go. And they get to the ride, and here comes Elise paddling along. Ah. And then they measure her again, and she can't go and say, Elise, not this one, but the next one, okay? She's like, okay. The third one comes. The fourth one comes. And she's starting to get sad. So we say, Elise, let's take a nap now. We, don't, we just wanted to... <laughs> We wanted to spare her the misery of watching her sister, brother, and, si- and cousins come off the rise. Yeah, that was awesome. So good. At least you missed out. And she's like, so she wakes up and she sees her cousins and her siblings running off to a ride. And Olivia found the ride that she thinks you can ride this one. It's an easy one. She's like, at least you can ride this one. Okay. And Elise is so excited. And she's got her elephant on her to like hanging on her and she gets to the line and they measure her and she still falls short and so we have to tell her again Elise you're not big enough to ride this one okay and this time her lips start to quiver and she goes into her stroller and she starts crying because she realizes that she can't quite measure up and she can't get in And I think a lot of us, all of us at some point, feel this way with God. I want to get into that place. I want to get into a right relationship with God. I want to get into heaven, but I can't quite measure up. And so many of us, even some of us here today, have come to church, and we don't come except on Christmas and Easter because we don't feel like we measure up. And some of us are sitting in our strollers crying because we know that we're not at peace with God. We're alienated with him. And this is not the way the world ought to be. And so when the Jews go around and they pronounce shalom on each other, they're saying, we want the world to be the way that it was meant to be. And some people say that's the reason why Jewish people are so blessed to this day. Because they don't just say, hey, what's going on? They're pronouncing blessing of God on each other's lives. But why is it then, if the Prince of Peace has come into our world, that this is the way our world is? goes all the way back to the beginning of the Bible. I don't know if you've ever read a, one of those children's Bibles. Whenever I would read a children's Bible when I was a kid, always start at the beginning like we should. Begin with a Genesis account where God creates the heavens and the earth and he creates the Garden of Eden and you've got people. And, and I would always laugh as a kid because I would see Adam and Eve and they were naked 
And I would say, they don't have any clothes on. And in my immature state, I thought that was the funniest thing. And, and, and plants and trees and fruit and animals were strategically placed to, to keep that book, a children's illustrated book, and PG rated. But I would always laugh and say, they're not wearing any clothes. But I would forget. Or maybe I just didn't know that this is the way that the world was supposed to be. The world that God created. In the world that God created, we could be naked and not ashamed. But in our world today, because sin entered, we look at ourselves and we get ashamed of what we see. And so we want to cover ourselves up. What'd you get on your report card? Oh, I did pretty good. We got that one B plus or B minus, whatever to see that we don't want people to say, see, so we just cover that up. I did all right. We don't like some of the things that uh, some of the things on our face or some of the things on our body. So we strategically cover those things up with clothing. We don't like some of the things about our whatever it is. And we cover all that up because we're ashamed that if somebody saw me in my unclothed state, that they wouldn't like me. Alienation with each other wasn't the way the world was supposed to be. But when sin entered in the world and God called Adam out on it, instead of saying, you're right, God, I did it. He blamed Eve who blamed the serpent. And from that point on, the blame game has operated in our world and nobody's been able to win that game. Creation, right? You look at those original creation accounts and you see animals are playing with each other and, 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 and lions are hanging out in the Garden of Eden with people and nobody's getting destroyed and nobody's getting eaten up. But when sin entered our world, our relationship with creation was severed to the point where the very things that were meant to give life Water, take life. Tsunamis and earthquakes and fires, things created good becoming distorted because of sin and ultimately our relationship with God severed so that when God calls out to us instead of going to him, we run. Our alienation with God so that God comes to us and says, where are you? And we hide. And from the Garden of Eden onward, the peace that we long for with others, with creation, with ourselves, and with God has been the most elusive thing. But it's not for lack of trying. Anyone feel that? I've been trying for peace all my life, but I can't find it. I've been trying to get right with people all my life, but I, and why can't we get along? Why is it that from... Man, there were these studies done from Moscow to, to, to Finland to all these places over the past... Uh, since like 3600 BC, there's only been like 80 years of peace or something like that. Something ridiculous. There's been 3,000 peace treaties, all of which were meant to last forever. But the average peace has been two years. Maybe you feel that acutely in some area of your life. But the first thing that we see here is that peace is one of the most elusive and hardest to find gifts. But the second thing that we see is that the Prince of Peace came to give us peace by losing his. By giving up his peace. Sar Shalom. Right? God comes into the world. I, you know, I don't know if you guys opened up your Christmas gifts this year. But I think, uh, and I, you know, it's completely not non-scientific. I'm just thinking about gifts I've received in my life. I generally tend to categorize gifts into four different categories. The first one is things that you don't want and things that you don't need, but you get them anyways. Um, I know teachers get things like this a lot, right? Their kids give them, uh, their students give them stuff. One of our teachers... Um, said that they got a gift recently. It was a plant that was half dead already. 
I was like, man, that is so sad. But they said, but the saving grace was it was in a pot. <laughs> the pot saved it. I one time uh, when I was doing when I was a youth pastor, we had a gift exchange, ten dollars and under, uh, secret Santa. So you knew who you're giving a gift to. And when I opened up my gift, the guy who gave me a gift uh, bought me Barbasol shaving cream. Uh, it was a subtle hint saying you need to shave. And I was like, dude, I don't like this gift. And he was uh, uh, when I opened it up, he was laughing and laughing. He thought it was the funniest thing. I was like, this is not, that's not funny. I ain't laughing. You see me laughing? There's certain gifts like that. You don't want it, nor do you need it. The second kind of gift are things that you want or things that you need that you can go to the store and buy yourself. Like someone who buys you like, toilet paper for Christmas, Merry Christmas, or laundry detergent. Um, they're still great. You love it. You love it. This week, uh, a couple of our harvesters came over. This is a great gift. I'm not saying anything negative about it. It's just a category. And they gave me six pounds of bacon oscar meyer bacon like we heard your sermon last week that you love bacon so here six pounds of bacon i was like this is amazing i want it i need it i could have bought it but i appreciate the fact that they got it for me third category of gifts are things that you want you need but you would never buy for yourself the life-size portrait of yourself right you would never (laughs) i bought that for myself i wanted to you know uh, somebody might buy that for you, but you wouldn't buy it for yourself. My brother, um, <clears throat> we, uh, uh, Olivia, uh, heard that he really liked this one uh, umbrella from the Museum of Modern Art uh, up in New York. It's this umbrella that you open it up, and it's just a regular black umbrella on the outside. But on the inside, um, it's a blue sky with clouds. Just a beautiful, beautiful thing. So when everyone else is like in the rain, uh, you can act like you're under a, a dry sky. And when he opened up, he said, oh, yeah, I love this. I love it. I never would have bought it for myself, but I love it. And then his, his wife said, those are the best kind of gifts, best kind of gifts, things that you want, uh, but you would never buy for yourself. But I would reckon to say that there's another type of gift that is, to me, is better. Something that you want, something that you need, but you can never get it for yourself. You could never get it for yourself. And what God is doing on Christmas Day He's saying, this peace that you so desperately want, that you could not find, you could not buy, you could not acquire anywhere else, I'm giving to you in my son, the Prince of Peace. And so God sent his son to be the ultimate gift of peace to us. Again, it's interesting because so many of us want the peace, but we don't want the prince who gives that peace to us. So I remember the last two Christmases I've been to the Magic Kingdom. And there's this one ride that we love to ride because it takes me back to my childhood called It's a Small World. It's a boat ride. It's an air-conditioned boat ride, which is the reason why the lines are so long. But it's a boat ride that takes you through the world. And these robotic figurines that act out scenes from different nations of the world. And you drive through, you ride through on that boat. And you say, yeah, there's Switzerland. Yeah, there's Norway. There's Russia. There's China. There's Korea. The Korean people are bowing like this. And they've got their fans doing their fan dance. And it's all beautiful. And throughout every nation of the world that you sail through, you hear, it's a small world after all. 
There's just one sun and one golden moon and a smile means friendship to everyone across the world. Though the oceans are wide and the mountains divide, it's a small world after all. What is it saying? What is a dream of Disney? This place where all of the nations come and for one day be happy before going back to their nations that are war-torn and destroying themselves. For one day we can hope for a better world, but there's no mention of how this is going to happen. The only thing that unites and gives a sense of peace, we're all people. Like the ancient Depeche Mode used to say, people are people, so why should it be that you and I should get along so awfully? It's the cry of Rodney King. Why can't we just all get along? And we seek this peace apart from the only one who can give it. And I think about the time when Jesus was born. It was a time of relative peace. That's what the history books will say. A time called the Pax Romana, the Roman peace, where internationally there was not much conflict, but it wasn't a peace. There was a fear that drove this kind of peace. It was a, it was a peace mandated by an iron fist that said, if you mess with Rome, then you're going to get it. That's what the crucifixion was all about, right? It was not for Roman citizens. It was for dissenters. Say, if you mess with Rome, you're going to get nailed to a cross and eaten by the vultures. That's what happens when you mess with Rome. That's the Pax Romana, the so-called Roman peace. It's the kind of peace that I enacted on my kids when Manny and Elijah were coming home from Awana after learning about Jesus and worshiping him and celebrating that A-W-A-N-A, I want to live my life God's way and celebrating Jesus. And then we're going home, and they're fighting over who can open up the Cheetos in the back of the car. And they're fighting, and they're yelling, I don't like you, I don't like you, you're ugly, you're mean, and all this stuff. I stopped the car and said, listen, you guys don't stop fighting. I'm going to park the car, and one of you guys is walking home. (laughs) All of a sudden, it got very quiet, and it got quite peaceful, at least to me. This was my Pax Romana. That's the kind of peace that the people were experiencing then. We're not fighting with anybody, but we don't have peace within because we're scared to death of what's going to happen if we upset Rome. See, here's our problem. We're seeking peace in so many different ways, but we're doing it apart from the Prince of Peace. And so because we would not go to him, the infinite became an infinite. You know, there's a, two principles about gift giving that you have to understand. One, you can't give what you don't have. The only person who can give the gift of peace is Jesus. The only one who never blamed anybody else for his problems. The only one who had complete shalom with creation. The only one who was so content with himself and the only one who was at peace with God. But the second thing about gift giving is once you give that gift, You lose that gift yourself. So what did Jesus do? What did he do? He who knew nothing but peace came into a world that knew nothing of peace. And because our sin caused us to blame other people unfairly, Jesus lived a perfect life. And at the end of his life, he allowed himself to be unfairly blamed. People said, you're a, you're, you're the one who deserves to be killed. Release. We, 
there was a custom at the Passover that one prisoner got released, the one that they thought was innocent. And Jesus, who was perfect, they said, don't release him, release the other guy. Kill Jesus. Kill Jesus. He's done wrong. He's a blasphemer. He's awful. He's mean. He said he's somebody that he's not. And so because our sin alienated us from us from each other, he became unjustly blamed so that we could have a right relationship with each other. When sin entered in the world in the Garden of Eden, when Adam's call was to till and work the ground, the Bible says the curse upon the ground came and thorns rose up to infest the ground. That's why the longing of shalom is no more let sin nor sorrow grow nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as a curse is found. And that curse is even found in the very creation that was meant to give us life. And so Jesus, who was at peace with this world, was at peace with creation, after he was unjustly blamed, was mocked, spit, ridiculed, and beaten. And it was a crown of thorns that were placed upon his head to say, I'm going to make things right between you and creation. And the only one who can look at himself and not be ashamed when he hung on the cross was stripped naked and he became ashamed when all the world pointed and mocked and ridiculed him. And because our sin alienated us from God, Jesus, the one who knew perfect peace with his father on the cross, he hung and he was forsaken by the father in order that we could have a relationship with him. Everything that we longed for, all the peace that was so elusive between our, in our relationships with each other, in our relationships with nations, in our relationship with creation, with ourselves and with God, everything that we longed for, because we could not have on our own, God sent his son to be the, the, the Sar Shalom, to bring us the peace that we so desperately needed, that we were lacking and longing for. And on the cross, Jesus was rejected, taking the punishment that we deserve in order that we might have the peace that he alone deserved. It's only when, it's only when we have peace with God that we can have peace with ourselves. And it's only when we have peace with ourselves that we can have peace with other people. You've got to understand the peace of God will not come apart from peace with God. And so many of us are seeking that in so many. That's why your marriages are falling apart. It's why you can't get along with your parents. It's why nations are in uproar. You know what? The, the healing of the nations is not going to come because of another peace treaty. It's going to come when the hearts of men and women are changed and we repent and we stop blaming other people and we pray for God's peace to come. And unless that happens, that peace will not come until the time when Jesus returns to make all things right. But the more we have peace with God, the more we can have the peace of God. And when you have peace with God, you can pray. The more you pray, the less you'll panic. The more you worship, the less you'll worry. Do you need peace today? I know even in my heart, I follow Jesus. I need this peace too. Because a lot of times, I try and seek it apart from Jesus. But I'm reminded today that God did not send his one and only son in order that he might live and die so that I might live a life that seeks peace apart from him. 
but he gave his one and only son to die in order that I might know a peace that lasts. It's internal, it's external, and it's eternal. And it's a gift that God has given to each of us. The question is, do you know that you need it? And if you know you need it, will you open up that gift and receive it into your life? Guys, a lot of us in here, I know, man, we struggle with a lack of peace in at least one of these areas. I know I do. Every relational difficulty I have stems from an inability in my heart to understand the peace of God in my life. And as much as I try, I'll never be at peace with the people that my soul wants to war against unless my soul is quieted by the Prince of Peace. Maybe your peace that you're seeking is an internal peace and it's so elusive. You've tried everything. You've tried meditation. You've tried exercise. You've tried different kinds of religions. You've tried to educate yourself. You've tried finding different avenues. You've tried working it out. You've tried all these different things but your heart has not been surrendered to the Prince of Peace saying today you can do that without peace with God you will not experience peace with yourself or with others or with our world but if you have the peace of God in your life you could experience peace in every area it's a simple thing Just opening your heart. Jesus says in the book of Revelation, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens a door, I will come in and eat with him, eat with her, and he or she with me. And you will experience the peace of God as you surrender your life under the lordship and the mastery and the kingship of Jesus Christ. Will you do that today? Just a simple prayer. Lord, I need you. I need you. You can pray that prayer in your own words today. And in a couple minutes, I'm just going to give an invitation for anyone who wants to pray that prayer themselves, a prayer that I will model for you. If you need peace in your life, yeah, I need the peace of God in my life. If you're a follower of Christ, and you've experienced peace with God, maybe today or maybe this season, you're experiencing an unusual level of stress because the Prince of Peace is not seated on the throne of your heart. Let's go back to Him. Again, the more you pray, the less you'll panic. The more you worship, the less you'll worry. Child of God, you go back to Him, pray to Him. And if you're not a follower of Jesus... And say, God, I need you. I need the peace that you offer. In a minute or two, I'll, I'll just uh, lead us through a prayer. If anybody wants to make a decision to choose, to open up their hearts to the Prince of Peace. But for now, let's pray. Again, just talking to God, responding to what you've heard, just allowing the word that God has spoken into your heart to begin a conversation between you and him as you talk back to him. Let's pray for a minute or so and then I'm going to give
give an invitation for anyone who wants to put their trust in the Prince of Peace today. As we all uh, continue to pray, I wonder if there's some of us in here today, uh, whether it's your first time at church, or your first time at church in a long time, or you come to church every week, but you realize that the Prince of Peace is not the center of your life, and you realize, yeah, that's why. there's no peace in my life. If there's no Jesus in my life, there will be no peace in my life. But if I know Jesus, then I will know peace. And you've come to realize that today, that God's gift to you, you don't earn it, you don't pay for it, you don't do anything to, 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 to earn it, but to receive it by faith. You're saying, I need that peace in my life. If that's you, if that describes you, yeah, I need the peace of Jesus Christ in my life. inner, outer, with God, with, with nature, with creation, with everybody. I long for that day when everything will be made right. The new heavens and the new earth, when all that's broken will be fixed. But even now, we can experience that. Peace with God, peace with ourselves, peace with others. That's you with everyone praying. I just want to ask, invite you to raise your hand from where you are. This is, uh, man, this is mainly just you and God. The reason I ask you to do this is We can follow up and give you some help and some resources. But if that's you, yeah, that's me. I need that peace, the Prince of Peace in my life. Can you raise your hand from where you are? Praise God. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Okay, I see you in the back. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, there's some folks who are indicating that they need this Prince of Peace in their lives. Praise God for that. Yeah, I need Jesus. I need the Prince of Peace. I need His peace. I don't want to have an outer, external, looking like everything is good, but going to sleep each night and waking up each morning fearful and filled with anxiety. I need the peace of Christ in my life. Anyone else like that? There's, a, yeah, there's some folks who've indicated that. Okay, thank you. then for others of us in here maybe you need the peace of Christ you are a follower of Jesus but you need the peace of Christ as well the more we forget and stray from the message of Christmas the more stressful the Christmas season will be maybe for many of us who've grown up in church and we know the message of Christmas this has been an extremely stressful season buying the right gifts running from one holiday party, Christmas gathering to another, work event, event in our neighborhood, whatever it might be. You just need the peace of Christ in your heart as well. 
just want to invite you wherever you are, maybe as a sign of, Lord, I need your peace. You can put your hands on your heart and you can uh, just hear this prayer that I pray. My hand is on my heart. I know I need the peace of Christ as much as anybody else. I'm just going to pray a prayer for God's peace to come and reign over our hearts. Just make this prayer your own, whether it's the first time you ask Jesus into your heart or you've done this before. Father in heaven, we thank you so much that you didn't give us a gift that we didn't need or didn't give us something that we could have on our own. But we thank you that in sending your son in painstaking preparation in order that the world would know exactly who you are so that the world would know how much you love us. We thank you that you sent Jesus, our Sar Shalom, our Prince of Peace. Father, for those of us in here who have never experienced the peace of Jesus Christ in our hearts, pray that you would come in and be our Savior and be our Lord in order that we could know the peace that you alone can offer. We acknowledge that we have hurt other people. We've blamed others. We've hid from you. We've hated ourselves and we've hurt creation. But we're coming back to you now. Then would you be the Prince of Peace? I believe that Jesus did what he did on the cross and in his life and in his resurrection in my place so that I might have peace. So be my peace and be my hope and be my joy. And for those of us in here who have once experienced the peace but have found it to be elusive because we failed to put you as the king of our lives, Jesus, would you come back to the center? Would you be restored? to your rightful place in our lives so that the peace of Christ would flow into our hearts. Lord, we need you. Thank you, Jesus, that for you to give us this peace, you had to give up your peace, that you became sorrowful and broken and hurt in order that we might know your love. Thank you that you would love us at such a price, but thank you that you didn't remain there, but you rose again victorious to claim the inheritance for us and you will return to give us fully what we now see only in part thank you so much for loving us thank you for christmas help us to celebrate you in jesus name we pray